Does the technology you use at work every day help you or does it slow you down? If your technology isn't saving you time, then what's the point of it? This is the situation that Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation found itself in eight years ago. They needed more than a contractor to swap out their legacy infrastructure and move their applications to the cloud. They needed a partner who could help them get to the root of their problem and map a path forward. They found Accenture, and together they discovered that it's not just a technological change, it's an organizational change. Amélie Lecomte of CMHC and Mark Lambert of Accenture join us to share the journey they took together to bring CMHC's technology platform into the 21st century. We talk about leadership buy-in, the full scope of this type of change, and accepting and making space for risk. I'm Michael Bassett, and welcome to Bright Future. Many organizations are burdened by outdated or piecemeal approaches to technology. Over the years, technology platforms expand, legacy systems are allowed to persist through inertia. All of a sudden, you realize you're operating with the equivalent of dial-up in 2021. I'm joined this episode by Amélie Lecomte, Vice President and Deputy Chief Information Officer from the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, and Mark Lambert, Managing Director, Federal Public Service from Accenture, to talk to them about a technology transformation at CMHC that they were both instrumental in seeing from ideation to delivery. The story of this transformation has become a Harvard Business School case study, has been profiled in tech and policy circles, and has become an example of how to successfully bring an organization and their technology platform into the future. Amelie and Mark, welcome to Bright Future. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Happy to be here. How did this project come about, and who approached who? Our transformation started when our ex-CEO, Evan Sadal, joined CMHC in 2014. One of his first observations was we had a technology deficit. We were using outdated hardware, software, servers, and on the software side, we were further behind the times. We had over a thousand applications and some of them running on Lotus Notes and a lot of in-house developed applications to support specific business needs. But often these applications couldn't speak to each other. So if we wanted to share information across the organization or externally, it had to be assembled manually. This is going to sound familiar for a lot of organizations, but our own employees also indicated in a pulse survey that they viewed technology as a big barrier to getting work done. Technology was not enabling our employees, but it was actually impeding innovation, frustrating them, and preventing us to serve the Canadians to the best of our abilities. That's when we decided we needed to take a drastic approach to fix the problem. We were so far behind that it became evident that we needed external help to help us navigate this problem. When we looked at it, we decided we don't want just to hire a vendor. We wanted a strategic partner to help us achieve this success. And we also didn't want to take 10 years to transform. It was clear from the start that we didn't want to follow traditional procurement practices or else I think we would have failed. Instead, we took a different approach and we invited two potential partners and Accenture being one of them. And we gave them access to our infrastructure and systems to fully assess the scale of the situation they would be facing and let them develop the solution rather than us telling them how we wanted it solved. I think if we would have followed the traditional procurement process, we would have been writing an RFP about something we didn't really fully understand. We would have lost a lot of time and effort defining scope rather than planning the actual implementation. I just want to underscore how unique this approach that Emily described is. 
in public sector, most clients spend months and sometimes years defining RFP requirements and trying to dictate a solution that vendors like us can bid on and spend a lot of time doing that and often don't have the skills and expertise to do it. Whereas what CMEC did was effectively exactly the opposite. They opened their doors and said, what would you do if you were us? And the difference there is in traditional procurement, you'll get everyone bidding on the same solution. Whereas here, this was right up front and you could get a variety of answers and the way that CMEC approached it. There was more on them, obviously, to evaluate which answer worked best for them. But I think they get more creativity and innovation that way. Did you know exactly what problem you were trying to fix? Or were you just saying, we know we have a problem? (laughs) We had an idea on how to solve this, but I think we didn't approach it the right way. When we tried to sell this transformation initially, we approached it as purely a technology project with a to-do list of, we must do this, one, two, three, four, five, and failed to really articulate the value of the transformation. This is not just about technology. Having an outside partner to come and help us develop that vision rather than a to-do list helps solidify the importance of the transformation and get the leadership buy-in to actually want to do this change. And what was the exact problem that you landed on? Our inability to fully empower our employees. Systems couldn't talk to each other. They couldn't access the data. And we're sitting on a lot of resources that are not fully enabled to their full potential. A CMHC couldn't serve Canadians to the best of our abilities because technology was not enabling them. That's the problem we were trying to solve is that we had been so set in our ways and accepted status quo as acceptable. From my perspective, years of underinvestment in technology had caught up to them and the business was starting to be held back by the capability that they had. And so they needed to make a real step change on the technology front in order to be able to realize their business strategy and serve the housing market the way that they want to. You talk about how different this contracting process was. I'm sure there are procurement managers who are listening to this saying, how do you put guardrails around this? How do you restrict something where you don't know exactly where you're going to go? It sounds like the problem is clear, but that solution wasn't. How do you create and maintain those guardrails on a project that could grow in scope? Scope creep is one of the biggest challenges, certainly in trying to get this kind of work done. I actually thought what we collectively came up with for a solution to that problem was really creative and has served a couple of purposes. We created a risk share mechanism, and I think anchored in that is a real partnership, and that's what CMHC wanted. And the idea of it was through the due diligence period that we went through, where we couldn't get to the level of specificity in requirements and design, we did provide rough estimates of what we thought implementation would cost. And then we created a risk share pool where us and CMHC shared 50-50 in overages. What that created was a joint incentive effectively to try and keep to within the budget numbers that we jointly agreed on. The way that the risk share pool worked was that any overages to our initial rough order magnitude estimates that were due to complexity or things that were unforeseen because we didn't get through it during the due diligence period, they were items that we would discuss and agree whether we were going to proceed with them or not, and they were subject to the risk share pool, in which case both companies would 
contribute 50% towards the solution. When we embarked on this transformation, we instilled a three-level of governance, and which started at the top. On a bi-weekly basis, the CMHC CEO and Accenture Canada CEO meet to discuss program performance, relationship status, and any future planning. And this meeting still takes place after five years into the relationship. Program governance, including joint reporting, shared outcome measurements, extended from the very top of the organization down to the project team. And that is very important for us. We haven't strayed from that over the last five years. Where we're seeing it pay off is we have a one IT type of mentality where Accenture and IT, it's one team. That's developed trust over the course of the relationship. And it took time to develop, but we learned to work together to build that trust. And it's led to transparency and openness to help us manage through issues and stay aligned when challenges actually presented themselves. We've had some tough conversations, but we're able to see, okay, what's the problem on this side and what's the problem on that side and come to a resolution that's mutually beneficial for both parties. When you take on something this transformational, we have 15, 20 projects running simultaneously. It is a significant undertaking that we went through. And I'd love to say everything went perfectly, but we did have a few bumps along the way. And one that I think of early on was we were implementing the enterprise resource planning ERP solution for finance. And it was an area where we did run into a significant amount of more complexity than we had anticipated. And it was causing the timelines to extend and us to be in a discussion around scope and schedule and all the traditional things you you talk about. But I think that if I go back to that risk share pool, we were at the table jointly talking about how do we satisfy the business need in the most efficient way? And there was less conversation about who's at fault or what was the root cause, those types of things that are kind of time-wasting, frankly, and don't get to the business outcomes. Even those difficult conversations were things that brought us together and really built the trust that Emily is referring to. Technology change of this scale is really only one part of the story. Because the tools, the technology is only one component of the change. It really is about the people. We have all read of stories or experienced stories where organizations bring in new technology. That technology is either resisted or it comes in too quick and it causes all these other unintended consequences. How did you approach the human side of this change process? Our transformation program consisted of 45 projects to be delivered over the course of three years. You can imagine every CMHC employee was touched with at least one of these projects. We knew this was a lot of change to absorb in a very short amount of time. And so we created a heat map to kind of view the projects, the employees that are impacted and assess, are we overtaxing a specific area in the organization? We were changing the email platform, the ERP, CRM, changing business processes. With that heat map, we were able to say, you know what, we need to lay off a little bit on this team because there's too much change in this area. Or we needed to double down on change management or support them further. So that heat map gave us a good indication of areas that were very impacted. And that also impacted our sequencing of the 45 projects. When you're looking at a blank piece of paper in these 45 projects, you don't see the human side to it. And once you start looking at it from the perspective of the employees, then we took a step back and said, okay, well, maybe we 
move this project over here. We'll delay this one so that we can ease up on the changes in specific areas. Other tools that we employed to gain employee buy-in. The first project that we rolled out was our email platform, which had been the number one thing that we heard from employees. Can we get a Lotus Notes? And we said, Let's show them that this time we're actually going to transform and we're actually going to do it. We moved off of Lotus Notes to Office 365 in a matter of four months, and it was rolled out across the organization, and it kind of signaled to the employees, okay, this time we're actually going to transform. Deciding which project you're actually going to roll out first really set the tone for this transformation. Other tools that we use internally, we created change champions in each of the business lines to help support employees, but also to get some of the feedback, how they were feeling throughout the transformation. Are there things that we're not addressing that needs to be addressed? We also created this column that's called Dear Tabby, and it's this old lady that's a little tech savvy and likes to answer anticipated questions or things that we thought would be top of mind to employees but she addressed it in a tone that was relatable and funny. We kept our employees engaged and informed as we brought them along this journey. We didn't want it to feel like it was IT's doing this to me. We wanted them to be part of the solution. I give CMEC a ton of credit here. These kind of change programs, you need a robust change management capability that sits over top of all of this program. And that's what we did jointly. This is training, communications, it's program design. We had a significant amount of change capability on top of the individual projects. This is one of the things that a lot of clients will cut or try to take on themselves. In this case, we saw the change capability as a significant part of our success because of how much stuff we were trying to do over such a short period of time. That was a big part of the success of the program was change management. Yeah, and I'm going to add another part that we actually changed in our approach as to how we deliver technology is that we stepped away from the white glove service. We went to a self-serve model and pushed our employees to actually explore and to be agile, be curious about technology, the same way you would if you were using your home computer. What do you mean by white glove treatment? We would have a lot of training, hand-holding our clients, walking them through every step of every change or installation. We practically had someone sitting next to you installing a change or doing something. At home, you wouldn't have that type of support. And it wasn't sustainable as a model to keep that white glove service. This project has obviously been successful, and you have had an opportunity to reflect on the successes. Obviously, on the way through this, there were some parts that didn't go as planned. What was the hardest part in getting through this initiative and moving it forward? Let's start with Mark from your side. What's the hardest part? This was a significant cultural change for CMHC. They had gone years with low investment in IT, so there had been very few significant change initiatives across the organization. And we were asking them to go through multiple change programs simultaneously. And I think that was a real culture shock for the organization and the pace that we were moving, the process and the rigor that we were trying to instill. And we're all new to the organization. In addition to having to deliver on the outcomes that we were trying to do, we also were kind of teaching the organization how to implement change. 
looking back, I think it's probably one of the things that we not appreciated as much as we should have through due diligence. Emily, what about you? What was hard from your side? Once we had the vision and the buy-in and the funding in place, the harder part was to set the plan in motion. We were 220 employees in the IT department, and we decided with our new IT operating model, only 50 would be retained. Having to let go people that had kept the ship afloat with limited resources all those years was actually difficult. With the new operating models, we had to form new roles, new ways of working, and most of the employees that had actually stayed back were used to having their hands on the keyboard, meaning they were the ones doing the changes to the systems and driving. But now they had to step into a role to oversee Accenture making those types of changes. From a transition of managing the how to managing an outcome was actually a big change for a lot of our employees. And some had difficulties making that transition. And the operating model change didn't also just impact IT, but it impacted the lines of business. They used to have direct access to IT resources. They could just tap on the shoulder and say, can you get this done? And we would oblige and do it. They had to become way more discipline in defining the requirements. Our lines of business didn't fully appreciate the cost of IT. It was not something that we talked about. How much does IT really cost? Working with a partner, and now they're actually seeing the cost. How much does it really cost to do an IT project? And at first, there was a sticker shock, I would say, because these prices were never seen. It's not that it didn't exist, but now we have to talk about it. And so the rigor and the discipline around it is something that we had to work on as an organization. I'm sure that we have listeners who are sitting in a boat that you were in years ago, Emily, where you're looking at thousands of stitched together tools and they're trying to figure out, well, how do I move my organization that way? What's one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's in this boat to help to move them along this path? The number one advice I would give for a transformation of this scale is to get your leadership buy-in. Our CEO at the time believed in this transformation and was a strong advocate in ensuring that we had program funding resources made available to us to drive this three-year transformation. But it wasn't only about this three-year transformation. It's the continued evolution for years to come. He believed in the power of technology to transform an organization. But in order to do that, it also requires an organization that is open to imperfection and failure. And one of our core values is that we celebrate both wins and failures. Innovation requires an acceptance that failure helps affect change. And we learn from them and we move on. We've consciously chose progress and speed over perfection and then made risk-based decisions along the way. For us, technology was used to drive a culture change in the organization around risk-taking, speed, and being okay with failure. If you don't have that leadership buy-in, it'll be hard to get a transformation of this scale and size pushed through in the organization. Mark, what's your piece of advice? Mine would have been the same as Emily's, actually. I think I would have thought of the leadership from the top first. Where I've seen programs of this size and scale be successful it is led right from the very top. Sometimes clients will push the leadership down into the organization. That was not the case here. This was right from the top and consistent throughout. And then the other piece I think I'd lean to is risk appetite. And even the way early on I described the risk share mechanism we had, 
that exists because we didn't tie every bow and dot every I and cross every T. We left some room for things to change over the course of the program and accepted that there was going to be risk to do that. And that risk appetite within the leadership is vitally important in order for us to be able to move at the pace that CMHC wanted to move. In the midst of all of this change, CMHC unveiled another ambitious goal, which was to have housing affordability for all Canadians by 2030. Did this goal put added pressure on the IT reform? Or did it make decision-making or action easier because you had another ambitious goal in addition to this huge transformation? I think it was a blessing that our transformation actually started before our ambitious goals got put in place. But, you know, the transformation pushed our employees to think big and lead with innovation. And as an organization, it tested our ability to change course. Being able to set such an ambitious goal is actually a testament to the transformation the organization has actually gone through over the past few years. From the way we've changed our culture, our employees, technology, and our processes. Every employee understands that every action or decision we take translates to somebody's home, somebody's life that you're making better. Our strategy is about making choice, setting priorities that deliver value and gets us closer to our goal. Are you optimistic that all of these changes that you've been through, that you've both been part of, are going to make CMHC's objectives more achievable? Yes, I do believe that this transformation has had a profound impact on the organization and its culture. It's made us resilient to change and the disrupted forces ahead. Change is constant. Technology will keep evolving at a much faster pace than we ever have seen, but we're well positioned to be able to take advantage of it with our data and insights and emerging technologies like AI or blockchain. That's going to help us inform housing policy in the future that supports our 2030 aspiration. These opportunities we never had before the transformation. Am I optimistic? Yes, I am. Very. What about you, Mark? It sounds like lots of this stuff has bled into your own work as well, where Emily's goals are almost your goals, that you'd like her to be successful as well. Absolutely. I think CMHC is better positioned today than they've ever been to take advantage of new technology, blockchain and artificial intelligence and analytics. The technology world is going to continue to progress in a rapid pace and CMEC is positioned very well to take advantage of it. And for Canadians, that means better access to the data that informs policy decisions that then end up in programs that better support Canadians. I want to thank you both for taking the time to share this successful transformation story and moving an organization that we all know is important to Canadians. The goal of having affordable homes is something that we all share. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. You've been listening to Bright Future from the Conference Board of Canada. If you like what you hear on this series, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Our production team includes Andy Joy, who's our writer, and Sarah Mouse, who supports in audio editing. I'm Michael Bassett, and I'm the host and executive producer for this series. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and do not reflect the conference board's opinion or research. For more podcasts, videos, commentary, research, and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.